Hello, everyone. Welcome. Well, today we are talking about fear. Author Karen Thompson Walker says our fears are essentially stories that we tell ourselves. She says we're both the writers and the readers of those stories. She explains that fears, like stories, have characters, and the main character is always us. Our fears have plots. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So we can picture it all perfectly clearly. We board the plane, the plane takes off, the engines fail. And our fears, she says, are filled with vivid imagery and suspense. And like any good story, our fears focus all of our attention on one question. What will happen next? And so when we're young, we have stories about monsters that live under our beds. But as we grow older, the stories that begin to crowd in on us and haunt us are narratives that we've seen lived out in the lives of other people, either on TV or in history books or in the lives of our closest friends and family members. And these storylines, they can make us lose sleep. They can leave us emotionally strained and frazzled. And whether we like to admit it or not, they begin to shape our behavior, our decisions, and even our faith. Now, I have to tell you, in the last 24 hours, some of my deepest fears have been triggered in my heart a little bit. We got the news yesterday that a family that has been very dear to my parents and our family for a long time is living a story that is one of those stories you think you only see on the news. And they're in the middle of that story. The end is not yet resolved, but there is so much fear that's been awakened in my heart from what they are going through, the fear that they are living. And then this morning, around 5 a.m., my little kindergartner came into our room wailing from a nightmare. But you know, her nightmare wasn't about monsters under her bed. It was a frighteningly vivid picture of one of my worst nightmares for my kids. And she was terrified. And then that fear came alive in my heart, in my mind, and there was no way I was going back to sleep. See, fears like that can be so powerful that they can make us never want to leave the house. We feel haunted by the, that question, what will happen next? And the thing is, there are millions of terrifying answers to that question, what will happen next? And those storylines, they leave us paralyzed, frozen, totally incapacitated by our fears, unable to move forward. And when we really take in all that's going on around us in this broken world, it's easy to fall into despair. Now, before you turn this episode off because it's too much of a downer or it's really just not something that you want to think about right now, I want to encourage you to consider that temptation that you might feel to turn this off because you don't want to think about the deep, dark stuff like that. Because I do think that feeling that you might be feeling illuminates a human tendency that we all have, one that I've been dealing with just in the last 24 hours and even this morning. When our fears rise to the surface, what I am so quick to do is try to rationalize why that storyline couldn't ever happen to me, wouldn't ever happen to me, why my story is different from that story to try to bring myself comfort. I do everything I can to push those fears out of my mind just so that I can try to function normally and have a normal day. So today, as we conclude this series, Hard to Believe, we are going to take a look at fear and specifically a conversation that Jesus has with the Apostle Peter in John chapter 21, because I believe that interaction changed Peter's relationship with fear for the rest of his life. 
So let's read together in John 21. First, the context in verse 1, we see that Peter and Thomas, who we talked about in our last episode, and a handful of other disciples are on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. When in verse 3, we read that Peter says, I'm going to go out to fish. And the other disciples said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. In verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. Now, if you're not very familiar with the Apostle Peter, this little moment is such a great picture of his personality. See, Peter was not a timid guy. Peter was known for stepping out of, or in this case, jumping out of boats. He wasn't afraid to take risks. He was a bold and courageous man. But even with his bold tendencies, what we're going to see today is Peter was at times controlled and frozen by his fears. And so before we get to the dialogue that Peter and Jesus are about to have on the beach, we are going to take a quick look back at who Peter was before the resurrection. So I want you to imagine that as Peter is frantically swimming toward the shore, I want you to imagine that he's having a quick series of flashbacks over some of his most important moments with Jesus. Because see, even this first experience really is a deja vu moment for Peter. What just happened in this boat with this miraculous catch of fish is really a throwback to what is most likely the day that Peter and Jesus first met. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus borrowed Peter's boat to sit out a bit from the shore while he taught the crowd that had gathered in this same place at the Sea of Galilee. And on that day, Jesus instructed Peter to set out for deep waters and let down his nets. Now, Peter and his fellow fishermen had fished all night and hadn't caught anything. They were certainly exhausted and probably skeptical of this instruction, but they decided to follow Jesus's command, and the result was a miraculous catch of fish. And on that day, Peter was so amazed by the miracle that his immediate response was to fall down before Jesus and say, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. But Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And right then and there, Peter left his fishing gear behind and followed Jesus. See, don't be afraid are some of Jesus's very first words to Peter. And that is a message that he continues to teach Peter again and again and again. So as Peter's swimming in John 21, I imagine his mind flashes to the day that's recorded in Matthew 8, where they were again on these same waters in a boat and a furious storm struck. And the waters were so rough that the waves began sweeping over the edges of the boat, but Jesus somehow was taking a nap. And the disciples are terrified and they wake Jesus up and say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Then I imagine that Peter's mind flashed to one of the most important days in his life, the day that he walked on the surface of the water. 
Again, this same water that he is now swimming in in John 21, one day he walked on it. In Matthew 14, Jesus tells the disciples to head out on the Sea of Galilee in their boat while he goes up to the mountainside to pray. Later that night, when they're on the boat, a considerable distance from land, the disciples cry out in fear because they think they see a ghost coming toward them on the water. But it isn't a ghost, it is Jesus, and he says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come to me. And Peter gets down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, Peter saw the wind and the waves and was frozen in his fear. Here's where we start to see the power of fear in Peter's life. See, Peter is bold. He asked Jesus to call him out of the boat and onto the water. But when he sees the power of the wind and he sees the waves, he loses faith and he begins to sink. But Peter's courage and his fear weren't just seen in his actions, but in his words as well. I imagine as Peter continued to swim toward the shore that he remembered the day in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked all of his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly speaks up saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, which is Peter's original name. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. This is a great moment for Peter. I mean, Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which means rock in Greek. He basically gave him the nickname, The Rock. Peter must have been absolutely thrilled. Talk about a high point in his relationship with Jesus. But that high peak of a memory quickly gives way to a low moment when later in that same chapter, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he was destined to suffer and die, but ultimately to rise from the dead. And Peter, overtaken by his boldness and his emotion, blurts out in Matthew 16, 22, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Peter's boldness, his courage, got him the nickname The Rock and the nickname Satan all in one day. Yikes. See, are you starting to see a pattern in these memories? Peter is a bold guy. He is not a coward, but he is a human being, and he seems to be riding the waves of his own emotions. And Peter was influenced, like we all are, by his experiences, his relationships, his gut instincts, his preferences, even his sense of right and wrong, his understanding of who God is and his belief of what God should do. And he is very much influenced by his fears. Peter's fears shaped his actions, his decisions, and even his faith. And we see this most clearly on Peter's last day with Jesus. And so as Peter is about to reach the shore, I imagine him reflecting on the very fresh memories of Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. In Matthew 26, the disciples are eating their last meal with Jesus, and he tells them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. And Peter speaks up with his classic boldness and says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. 
And I imagine Jesus sighing as he says, Truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter responds again very courageously, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, Jesus. And then all the other disciples follow his lead and commit to the same. And I do believe that Peter really felt that level of commitment to Jesus, that commitment that was so strong that he really would die with him. We see that level of commitment when later that evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is arrested, Peter pulls out his sword to defend Jesus and he cuts off a guy's ear. But Jesus tells Peter to put his sword away, and Jesus allows himself to be arrested, and Peter is afraid. This is not what he imagined the story of the Messiah would look like, and he is asking himself that fearful question, what will happen next? Later that same night, Jesus is being questioned by the priests, and Peter is out in the courtyard, and a servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, you also We're with Jesus of Galilee. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. Then another servant girl saw him and said to all the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again, this time with an oath. He said, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know know the man. And in that moment, the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken and he went outside and wept bitterly. And you know what? I relate to Peter. I want to be bold. I have the best of intentions. I experience waves of courage. But then the very next moment, I can feel completely helpless to follow through, frozen in my fear. We've seen this pattern again and again in Peter's life that when his eyes are glued on Jesus, he has profound courage, courage enough to walk on the surface of the water, to boldly declare truth, to leave everything and follow Jesus. But as soon as his eyes fall off of Jesus and onto the circumstances of this life, onto the waves, onto the things that are threatening to harm him or even kill him, even if that threat comes through a little girl Peter hides. He's frozen in his fear. He allows his fear to shape his actions, his decisions, his commitment to Jesus. And so now, let's return to John 21. And I picture Peter crawling onto the shore, soaking wet and out of breath. And, you know, considering all of their history, I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus chose to have this conversation with Peter here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. As Peter arrives on the shore, the other disciples who had followed in the boat towing the net of fish arrive and they see Jesus sitting there by a campfire with fish roasting over it. And he says, bring some of the fish that you caught over and let's have breakfast. And they sit with the resurrected Jesus on the shore and eat breakfast together. And in verse 15, we read, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And in verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And this conversation is a turning point in Peter's life. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And in a way, he's mirroring Peter's three denials that he even knew Jesus. Jesus is reconciling with Peter. He's forgiving Peter, and he's strengthening Peter for what's ahead of him. And then Jesus says, follow me to the end. And that's what Peter does. The next time we see Peter, in the beginning of the book of Acts, he is not the same guy. I mean, don't get me wrong, he is still the bold and willing to take risks guy that we saw before Jesus' death and resurrection, but now he is consistent and he is no longer controlled by his fears. We never see Peter shrink back in fear again. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and Peter preaches to crowds, and thousands of people respond in belief and are baptized in one day. And then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John walk right into the temple courts and start preaching. And if we just read quickly, we might miss that detail, but remember, the last time Peter was anywhere near the temple, he was hiding from a couple of servant girls in the courtyard of the high priest. Now he's walking right into the temple courts and preaching the gospel, telling people that Jesus had risen from the dead and offers them eternal life. So in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heal a man there in the temple courts, and then they begin to preach the gospel. And the priests and the captain of the temple guard come up to them and arrest them. They throw them in jail for the night. Then the next day, they put them on trial before the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law. Annas, the high priest, is there. Caiaphas, everyone. These are the exact same men who sent Jesus to his death. And they ask Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and listen to his boldness in this response, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I mean, he's fearless in this response, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. In verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the high priest and the Sanhedrin, they aren't sure what to do. They want to play their cards right so they don't get a riot on their hands. So they threaten them and send them away. And so what does Peter do? In Acts chapter 5, he goes right back into the temple courts and starts preaching again. He and some of the other apostles are there preaching and they get arrested again. They get thrown in jail again. But this time, an angel shows up in the middle of the night and opens the doors to the jail and all these apostles walk out. It's a miracle. They're free. But the angel says, guys, I want you to go back to the temple where you just got arrested and preach the same message that just got you thrown into jail again. And they say, all right, that sounds good. And so the next day, they go right back into the temple courts and start preaching. The high priest calls together the religious court, and he tells a guard to go get the apostles out of the jail. But the guard goes, and he comes back and says, everything is locked up and looks normal, but they are not there. And then somebody comes up and says, "Uh, hey, guys, look, the men that you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts teaching the people again. And so the captain, with his officers, goes back, gets the apostles again, brings them back 
to appear before the Sanhedrin and their question before the high priest. And they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And listen to the steady courage in Peter's response. In verse 29 of Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. See, in Peter's response, we see the keys to his dramatic change. First of all, he points out he is doing all of this by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised that he would send his own spirit to live inside those who have faith in him. And it's by that power that Peter is courageous and fearless and does not shrink back. But we also see that one of the keys to Peter's courage is that he has seen the resurrected Jesus. He watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And so Peter boldly declares, Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is the Savior of the world. And through him, forgiveness of sins is available. And so Peter's saying, look, you can do what you want to me, but I will preach this message until I die. I have witnessed it. And Peter's courage is rooted in what he has seen and in his understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. Remember, Peter boldly proclaimed in Matthew 16 that he understood that Jesus was the Messiah, but then only verses later he revealed that he didn't really understand what the Messiah was going to do to save his people. And what has changed is that Peter came to understand not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but what that really meant, that he sacrificed himself, that he died the death that we should have died, and then he defeated death to offer us life, real life here and now, and then new life after death. Peter is living out what David first wrote in Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Listen, if the one that you follow can offer life even after death, then what is there to fear? See, I believe when Jesus asked Peter on the beach, do you love me? And then when Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. I believe he was showing Peter, Peter, I have some big things for you to do, but they will require courage. And if you remain frozen by fear, you will never step into the calling that I have for you. Center your identity on my identity, and then I will, by my spirit, enable you to walk in that strength. And I just love that he invites Peter into that eternal plan, that eternal story, over a picnic breakfast on the beach. He is a personal and loving Savior, and he invites you and I to do the same to dine with him, to talk with him plainly, to go to him for the strength that only comes through his Holy Spirit. Listen, following Jesus does not mean you will never experience fear. You most certainly will. But Jesus is reminding Peter and he's reminding you and me that if we don't want our fears to control us, we have to keep our eyes on him. And so when our fears start to overwhelm us, we can be tempted to just try to shove them aside as best we can into the corners of our minds so that we can go on with our day. We do our best to rationalize why that thing would never happen to us. We frantically scramble to find the differences between our lives and their lives and argue that because of those differences, that tragedy will never cross our path. But if we're being honest, we know that that simply is not true. 
And when our deepest fears are standing right in front of us, either because of something that we see or hear or something that's going on in the life of a loved one, we can, like Peter, quickly spiral into heart-racing fear that can hold us captive and control our lives. For Peter, his fears were triggered by the sight of the wind on the water and the voice of a little girl accusing him of being an accomplice of Jesus. And as we've seen, Peter was a pretty courageous guy, but in those moments, all of his courage melted away and he responded in fear. See, Peter was afraid of what we're all afraid of, pain and death. I want you to hear how Peter wrote words of encouragement to a group of early believers who were facing very real fears of persecution, pain, and death for their faith. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Peter says, do not fear. Revere Christ as Lord. See, if we focus on our fears, they will begin to shape our actions, our decisions, even our faith. But if we focus our eyes on him, our faith will be able to keep our fears in check. And so when you're tempted to try to just shove your fears out of your mind or argue them away, instead take them to him and ask him for help. Remember, the one that you follow offers life even after death. That whatever frightening story you're living or whatever hypothetical storyline keeps you up at night, Remember that his story is the bigger story over it all. Jesus came to save this broken world. And he told us, he promised us that in this life we will have trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. There is hope available. And it's hope so powerful that it can set us free from the control of fear in our lives. When we follow the one who defeated death itself, as David wrote, whom then shall we fear? So as we close this episode and as we close out this series, I'd love to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we bring our fears before you. You know the fears that are swirling in my heart and mind today. I bring them before you and I ask you to help me. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you give us the faith and the perspective to see your eternal story, to keep our fears in check, knowing that you came into this broken world, Jesus, that you died to save us, that you defeated death, rose from the grave, and then ascended into heaven where you sit at the Father's right hand. And through the power of your death and resurrection that you offer us life and hope. We need that perspective in this very broken world that we live in, God. Give us that courage. Give us that strength. Give us that hope by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can walk through our days and through this life not controlled by our fears. Thank you that you love us like that, and thank you that your love for us is so kind and intimate that you invite us to eat a meal with you, to speak with you plainly, to have a relationship with you that gives us life every day, here and now. Help us to make that time with you a priority so that we can receive that. Thank you that you love us that way. 
We are grateful. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.